This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Welcome to the second installment of the Rent Strike series from Urban Political, a series that explores the Veritas Tenants Association's ongoing rent strike against their corporate landlord, Veritas Investments. To quickly recap, Veritas is San Francisco's largest landlord, owning more than 6,500 units in the city, with additional holdings across the Bay Area and Los Angeles. In response to Veritas' predatory practices, which we covered in Episode 1, the VTA has organized more than 100 buildings across Veritas' portfolio supported by the Housing Rights Committee of San Francisco. During the pandemic, the VTA carried out a successful rent debt strike against Veritas, and in 2022, they helped pass unprecedented right-to-organize legislation for the city of San Francisco. On June 1st of this year, tenants from two buildings launched a rent strike after Veritas defaulted on a nearly $1 billion loan on two separate portfolios that include 95 residential buildings. The default set off a closed-door auction for the delinquent debt and the tenants are demanding a say in the terms of sale, in addition to substantial improvements to their buildings and recognition of the Tenants Association. In the first episode, we covered the history of the VTA, their strategy for building power against corporate landlords, and the potential of multi-building rent strikes. Today, we're back with Brad Hearn, lead organizer with the Housing Rights Committee, who's here to give us a quick update on the strike. Brad, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. So since we recorded the first episode, there's been two huge developments. First of all, on September 1st, the strike expanded to another building. Secondly, although as you mentioned in the last episode, it appeared as if Veritas was trying to use this default to renegotiate the terms of their debt. They lost the auction for the distressed loans and are currently preparing to sell 75 buildings over 2,000 units from one of the portfolios to another corporate landlord called Ballas Investments also known as brick and timber. Before we talk about the implications of the sale for the tenants, the strike, and the VTA, let's start with the result of this bidding process and the new corporate landlord. Can you give some more context to what has happened and what has been made public about this sale? Sure. Um, I think just to say upfront that it's it's distressing um, when when, you know, what I think a lot of us locally feared um in terms of such a huge number of buildings and rent controlled rent stabilized apartments going to another large real estate investment firm ballast investments one that's backed by the carlisle group a huge private equity firm um and other investors so um ballast (laughs) was founded by ex employees of veritas so they're 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 cut from the same cloth they run a similar business model of purchasing uh rent stabilized buildings um with longer term tenants and uh, deploying a set of tactics from really disruptive construction practices to um, excessive rent increases pass-throughs um poor management um to 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 force tenants out so um that said um some silver linings i think is that a lot of these buildings do have existing tenant associations or some level of of organization inside the building so we'll be able so the tenants will be able to you know regroup under 
a new owner um, fairly quickly and and assert assert some demands. Um, and I think what you know we'll be we'll um, be tracking how this develops. The, the, to my knowledge, the sale hasn't been finalized. It hasn't gone through a hundred percent, and we're not. And then the the set of twenty buildings and a separate loan um, is not. As of right now, we haven't heard that it's going to ballast. We've been hearing from tenants who live in the buildings that some prospective buyers have been walking through. Um, so, so one of the buildings that is on strike is in that portfolio of twenty. So, um, they're they're making an effort to try to negotiate terms of sale and see what how much of a say they can they can win in in what happens next and that might give us a little bit more insight into how that portfolio is is moving well i'm curious how veritas has framed the pending sale of a pretty substantial chunk of their portfolio publicly and if you know what's actually going on within veritas yeah, I think it's important to note that this is not just the pandemic um, or, or you know, like increased remote work. This is the same portfolio they were attempting to sell pre-COVID um, in, in that they that leaked out in late December of uh, 2019. And then that the VTA was publicly campaigning about in 20, early 2020 before before COVID. So um, so they were having issues. Principally, I think with their one of their their major institutional investors, the Balpost Group, based in Boston, um, and uh, so I think, um, and then yeah, the pandemic certain and the pandemic did make things worse. Um, although certainly a company like Veritas, like on the on on the on the on the range of suffering, <laughs> not not nearly as much. Certainly, and, and, and benefited from you know the, the paycheck protection program that they had nearly six million dollars in PPP loans forgiven after publicly saying they were going to pay them back. Um, but um, what are they saying publicly about the sale now? Well, they're saying that they're still committed to San Francisco, which of course they're going to say, and which we're like, oh no, maybe don't don't commit to San Francisco, <laughs> but. Um, don't commit to anywhere, but um, yeah, they're still saying they're committed to San Francisco and are uh, and are uh, uh, a massive firm with with plenty of holdings. Um, so, in terms of their total inventory in San Francisco, there is another large portfolio that's backed by a loan from a bank called Natixis, and um, it went through a refinancing. I think maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago. Um, and I'm kind of been tracking that portfolio a bit. Um, I don't, it was trying to find out the maturity date and things like that to see if it's on a similar trajectory as these other loans that they're not going to be able to pay off. But what's interesting is that the September, the, the, the building, the tenants, the tenants who went on strike starting September 1st are part of that loan, um, which they have not defaulted on yet. So we're, it's it's interesting to see how we might be able to strategically target buildings that are part of this other loan, uh, this, this other portfolio, and if that's actually a a strategy to to get them to default, essentially. Um, 
can you you already uh gave a little more context to ballast investments and um and kind of the tactics and similarities between them and veritas um are they a kind of a major player in san francisco and the bay area already and have they tried to make contact with the tenants yet uh i do not believe they've tried to make contact with the tenants in the 75 buildings yet um but they are they have become a pretty major player um i don't know exactly how many buildings they have in sf although it's certainly now more than 75 um and we do have some existing tenant associations in some of their other buildings um and so you know as we've said with veritas like when they buy more buildings the tenant association grows as well so um Ballast has holdings, has buildings in other East Bay cities, um, Berkeley, for example. Um, they they have they structure themselves very similarly, where they have a vertically integrated company with Ballast as the parent company, um, and then they own their own management firm, management company called Brick and Timber, and then they also own their own uh, construction a company called Halyard, which they contract with to do big construction projects. And that to me sounds problematic, but um, in terms of paying yourself, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, very similar to Veritas in that sense. Um, and uh you, you know, and unfortunately, I think they have flown under the radar a little bit just because Veritas has dominated so much of the corporate landlord landscape. But uh, but obviously, they're now going to be um, under the microscope under the microscope a lot more. So let's move on to the strike itself and what this sort of shifting target means. Um, last time we spoke, two buildings had been on strike since June. How many tenants total are on strike now? And are there demands specific to those that joined the strike on September 1st? Yeah, so um, this is gonna so sound like a small number, but it's, a, it's about 30 tenants on strike. And then as of September 1st and across the three buildings, um, and which sounds like a small number, but you have to remember that the, the strikes are in fact majority strikes for the tenant associations that exist in the buildings. And so the buildings have manager units that don't count. They have vacancies that don't count. Um, so, you know, even like a 30 unit building um, becomes the, the number of like actual occupied units becomes smaller and whatnot. So, um, all that said, there's a building that's expected to start a strike on October 1st, which is around, which might be around 30 in and of itself. So the strike could double um, by October 1st. And um, in terms of, yeah, demands, I mean, so one of the common demands across the buildings has been recognition of their building-based tenant associations. Um, in the case of the two that started June 1st, uh, Veritas is still refusing to recognize. They're starting to negotiate a little bit on with one of the buildings. Um, and we're starting to see a little bit of movement on some proposals. 
around rent reductions for elevator outage and some habitability issues. Um, then the uh, the building that began to strike on September 1st, which is primarily a, a building of Chinese tenants and, um, and a few Spanish-speaking tenants. So English is not the primary language in this building. And language access and language justice protocols have become a top demand. Um, and they have been fighting for recognition of their tenant association for, for a year, a whole more than actually a little bit more than 12 months. And then they started the strike on September 1st. And then a few days, about a week after the strike started, Veritas agreed to recognize the association and meet with the tenants. And so they'll be meeting, they're having their first negotiation session on September 27th. Um, and when you say recognize the tenants association, you're referring to the union at home or right to organize legislation that we talked about in the last episode. Um, can you say a little bit more about what that means, what that ordinance um, entailed? Yeah, so recognition, when we're talking about it here, is a, is a legal concept um, under the ordinance that the landlord is is legally obligated to recognize a tenant association with a majority of, of units represented. Um, and that then requires the landlord to meet and confer in good faith uh, on, on and reach an agreement with the tenants on the issues that are the tenants are bringing forward. Um, we just, moving through the legislative process here in SF at City Hall through the Board of Supervisors is a 2.0 version of the Union at Home Ordinance. In fact, just um, last week, um, actually, no, yeah, well, just last week, we did a press conference with Supervisor Connie Chan, who represents um, the West Side, a portion of the West Side in SF. And she is, she has authored with, with our input a 2.0 version of the ordinance that improves provisions in the ordinance. Um, and so that had its first committee vote in City Hall uh, on this past Monday, and it sailed through 3.0. So we're expecting the full board to pass it unanimously. Um, and so that's sort of a parallel legislative um campaign to strengthen the ordinance and um, really, you know, identify it as a body of work, of, of, of policy work that's going to be, um, that we'll be working on for, you know, for the, for a while. It's not like a single ordinance that never gets touched. It's going to be, you know, the opposition will attempt to chip away at it. We will continue to attempt to strengthen it, but at the end of the day, it's going to come from um, organized tenants building strike-ready tenant unions and tenant associations that that give it any teeth. And to go back to the, the strike, how does the sale affect the strike and the tenants' demands? And can you talk about some of the opportunities associated with organizing or striking when there's a sale? Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting, you know, um, Broadly speaking, I think tenants are interested in how they can prevent another corporate landlord from buying their building. And that then leads to a discussion of how you take it off the private market. And then that leads to, well, who's going to be, 
who is going to buy it if it's not a private owner? And the reality is that it's a pretty complicated thing in San Francisco and the options aren't always like ideal. Um, we have nonprofit housers, nonprofit landlords who operate locally and um, have a version of, they have their own set of uh, rent stabilization rules. They're not, they're not under the, the local rent ordinance and that has created some problems. Um, and we do have a local land trust um, that we've had conversations with over, over time. Um, and there's some successes there with acquisition that have happened um, outside of Veritas as well. But it's not, it's not a, a, it's not a, um, a simple thing. And it's, um, yeah, so, so when we say like taking buildings off the private market, like in principle, yes, um, a lot of the tenants instinctively like know that that's where they want to, where they want to go. But um, it's not like the alternative is, is perfect. Um, all that said, I think there's, you know, for the 75 where Ballast is likely to become the new owner, you know, it's really interesting. I think that, you know, if I, you know, I've, I've, I've met and talked, I have worked, I've been across the table in, in rent board hearings and, th- and whatnot with Ballast employees and staff. And it's funny, they sometimes will be like, oh, we're not Veritas. We're not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but um so I think in some ways they might be trying to, to, you know, get on the tenant's good side and present themselves as a better owner. I think that gives the tenants the opportunity to say, well, then if you're a better owner, here are our proposals. Here's what we, here's what we need. Um, and I think doing it at the point of sale, doing it during that process when the landlord is trying to get estoppels and, and, and um, you know, trying to meet the tenants for the first time and all this kind of stuff, like, I think it is an opportunity to for the tenant association to assert itself and say, welcome to our home. <laughs> um, you have bought a unionized building and that's what, and here's what that means. Um, so I think that that's something that we're going to be definitely trying out and seeing what we can do. Right. And so of course, with the sale of these buildings, that also means that these Tenants associations who are part of these portfolios will no longer be Veritas tenants or part of the VTA. Um, are the ballast tenants organizing in San Francisco as well? Yes. So um, during some of the peak years of pandemic, we actually helped. We had we we um, we helped tenants in a number of ballast buildings organize and form tenant associations and attempt to create a ballast tenants association, a BTA. Um, And that actually got off the ground and then sputtered a little bit. So I imagine what we'll be trying to do is regroup and restore that project. Um, There may, you know, I think I'll also thinking through like, what does it look like for a tenant union that can somehow represent tenants of both these landlords um that would be outside the scope of the ordinance but that's okay um 
And uh, but because the issues are the, the issues that the tenants face in the buildings of the two owners are just very similar. There's a lot of common issues and overlapping issues. So, um, but yeah, the you know we'll be um, needing to convene some 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 multi multi building meetings, get people uh, to to help make some decisions on how they want to structure themselves. And um, and figure out how we can build leverage um, now across the two owners. I think I'm also curious about more broadly how this sale of a building affects tenants. What sort of rights do they have, and what do they need to know when their building is sold to a new corporate landlord or a new owner generally? Yeah, we we put out on our social social media um not only the list of buildings affected the exact addresses but also like some basic you know your tenants rights 101 i mean it, it, in 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 short like tenants have under the rent ordinance and if you're a rent stabilized tenant in sf and your building is being sold um you certainly don't need to move you don't need to sign anything you don't even have to fill out the estoppel um there might be a benefit to filling out the estoppel to codify verbal agreements that you've had with the prior owner, but it's not a requirement. You don't need to sign a new lease. You remain under rent stabilization um, and just cause eviction protections. So um, in that sense, it can, I think for a lot of tenants, it might just be like, oh, new owner. Okay. Um, because it can feel like that. It can feel both really nerve wracking, like, oh, what's the new owner going to do? And it can also be a very like, Oh, it's just another new owner. So um, I think our task is how we um, move tenants in the direction of seeing it as an opportunity to negotiate on, on issues that they want to bring up and doing it at a moment in time when the new owner uh, might be trying to set a good example or, or present a positive first impression. When I think um, just here at the end, last time you told us about some actions you were planning to carry out, including a concert and I think a cookout. Can you tell us a little bit about how that went and what you have planned for the next month? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> the concert, had, we had to reschedule the concert in part because I got COVID. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and uh, so, and there were some other logistical issues with getting a permit from the city and this kind of stuff. Um, but it's most definitely still something that we're trying to put together for the fall, um, maybe around a Halloween theme. Um, and we're actually having a Bay Area tenant assembly this coming Saturday that's organized through a coalition that we're a part of called the Regional Tenant Organizing Network. And um, I'll be there with members of the VTA and some of our other tenant associations, and we'll be doing a workshop on building strike-ready tenant unions. Um, and so uh, trying to, to train with and practice with tenants under other large landlords throughout the Bay, um, these concepts and skills around building towards rent strikes. So um, yeah, so that'll, that should be fun and, and um, exciting. And then, um, yeah, I think in October we want to do some, we want to reboot the concert, do a big kind of 
dinner or gathering with with the members. I mean, a lot of these members have been through a lot just in the last few months. So it's important to be able to take a night, a moment and and step back and just build camaraderie and, and break bread. And so we want to make sure we make time for that. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to be here. For more information, visit our website, urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.